0: Art News Daily. Welcome to it. All right. We did a very, uh, very uh, risky thing on the show this morning. We talked about culture. See if you think we did a good enough job here. Talked about culture as it relates to illegal immigration. background and i'll do the best i can here this is my favorite thing to talk about but there's so much to talk about with it i never know what to choose or what to do and i always leave a million things out just because you can't do it all at once so we'll see how it goes so i said on friday that conservatives or anyone against the border mess open borders needs to stop saying they're against this invasion because uh it's taxing our social services i keep hearing that over and over taxing that's like it's the Democrats who say that It's the mayor of New York City who says taxing our social services it's a ridiculous phrase uh don't don't that's not a reason to be against I mean it's a reason I guess but it's not the main reason it's not because our emergency rooms are full it's not because our schools are you know there's like 50 languages in our schools so that's completely unworkable and it's not even because these illegal immigrants are voting for Democrats I would be against this illegal immigration if they were wearing MAGA hats while coming across the border. It's first and foremost because they're breaking the law, but that's not even enough of an argument too, because you could just change the law and now they're not breaking it anymore. Okay, So that's not even the main argument. No one makes this argument because it's touchy, (laughs) You you gotta be careful, careful, careful. They're changing our culture. Very dangerous thing to say, but it's the most important thing to say because culture is everything. It's not skin color. Skin color means nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is culture. Culture means everything. Now, we never talk about culture in our culture, so people don't know what it means. Pat called in yesterday or Friday. and Pat said, Slater, I disagree with everything you say, (laughs) but I enjoy the show. And I listen every day. And here's what he said after that.
1: I just want to know, what is the
0: culture that we're trying to protect? What is it? Can you explain it to me? Can you tell me what the culture is? Because I haven't gotten that memo. I don't know what culture we're trying to protect or how other cultures are are uh, a danger to it. So can you boil that down for me? Hmm. Mm. Well done, Pat. Well done just to jog your memory if you're here on Friday. So great. I love that. Such a, And that was an honest question. I think Pat was genuinely curious. So there's lots of different aspects of culture and they don't, some of them are mutually exclusive from each other and they don't mesh well together. There are shame cultures and guilt cultures. Afghanistan is a shame based culture, meaning that something is only considered wrong if you get caught. Steal from a store, no problem. It's their fault, they didn't secure it enough. But if you get caught, ooh, now you've brought shame to your family. In America, we used to be a guilt-based culture where it's wrong to steal even if you don't get caught. And that guilt comes from within. So the shame-based culture, the shame comes from outside. If you get caught, guilt, it comes from within. Those are very different, very different. There are paternal-based cultures and maternal based cultures where the woman or the man is the head of the family and the head of the culture there are cultures that believe in chivalry and there are cultures that are based on misogyny meaning how uh, how men are expected to treat women there are secular cultures and christian cultures and muslim cultural differences different worldviews and different religions have different ways to answer suffering why does suffering occur? Christianity has an answer to that. You know, Hindu culture has an answer as well. Their answer to suffering is, because that, I mean, that's like a basic question that we've been asked for thousands of years. Why does, why does suffering exist? And the Hindus have decided it's karma. So all of your suffering comes from your misdeeds in a previous life. So all of your suffering is deserved. And And here's where it really affects the, the country. You can't get involved in helping people. Like if you see someone suffering, you can't help them because you would be interfering with karma, cosmic justice. They did something bad in a previous life. That's why they're suffering now. So you can't help them because that's interfering with justice. Very interesting. So that creates different cultures. There are cultural differences around work. We in America had this thing called a Protestant work ethic very hard working culture compared to Samoan culture, for instance. Even ethnicities in America have different cultures. So so the ethnic group, what do you think the ethnic group in America is with the highest uh, household income? Highest household income in America, what ethnic group? Indians, Indians. So Indians are by far the highest, not even close. I think they're like $140,000 median household income for Indians. And the second highest is 100,000. So they're way, way higher than anyone else. Okay, so why is that true? But then also, do you know what the lowest is? The lowest are Ethiopians and Moroccans. Why? Why are Ethiopians and Moroccans last? Why are Ethiopians below other places in Africa? And why are Moroccans so low? Morocco, if you want to, oh, it's race. Moroccans aren't black. So, what is it? What are the cultural differences between Ethiopians and Moroccans and uh, Zimbabweans that makes people who come here from Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, and Morocco different? Hmm. I'd like to know. It's culture. Albion's Seed is the name of the book that is best about this. Albion's Seed. And the author there uh, outlines what he calls uh, folkways, another word for culture. So here are the different aspects of culture: Pat, uh, speech, how people talk, building, so like uh, architecture, family structure, marriage, gender, sex, like literally views on sex, child rearing, how we raise children, age, do we respect our elders? We we don't. We in, in American culture we don't respect our elders. In Japan they do. In Japan they have a, a, a culture that respects elders in America. We don't in America. We, uh, lionized kids, the youth, youth culture, uh, views on death, religion, uh, learning. Do you value education or not different cultures regarding food, dress, sports, work time. You hear this a lot from the black lives matter activists that time is a uh, white concept and you can't expect black people to show up to things on time because black people have a different culture when it comes to time. Uh, if you've ever been to, uh, I, I've been to Puerto Rico. They have no concept of time in Puerto Rico, right? So that they, different culture. Uh, one of my buddies is getting married in Puerto Rico and it's, it's a disaster. There's <laughs> like they can't get anyone to do anything ever. Uh, it's a different culture. Uh, wealth, views on wealth. View, uh, rank, so views on hierarchy, those are different. Uh, social um, connections. Uh, and that's true here. Like there's a difference between New Yorkers and Californians and Southerners. Order. There's a difference between uh, order, power, views on power, and freedom. Those are the different aspects of culture in this book I'll buy and see. So when Pat calls in and says, hey, so what do you mean by this culture? It's all of this. All of those things. Every single culture has different views on all of those things and different uh, uh, permutations about different things. Let me give you two examples. Uh, I just read this this morning. Not even kidding, I read this morning. So it's a picture of a street in India and a street in Japan. The street in India, you could not fathom a filthier place in your life. Garbage everywhere. With cows and dogs. And, and isn't in India, don't they like worship the cow? Or whatever, it's like they can't kill cows. Or, so there's cows all the street. And it's, it couldn't be more disgusting. And it's next to a market and whatever. Right? So that's that. And then in Japan, this street, you would eat off of it. You would lick the street. It is absolutely pristine down this street. Not a leaf has fallen on the ground that has not been picked up. So what is going on? How can human beings live with two different streets? And then an interesting question, Pat. Aren't you curious about that? What is it about Japanese culture versus Indian culture that results in those different streets? All right, here's what this guy says. As a poor country, India has an ethic called Jugad, J U J U G A A D, which essentially translates to make it work however you can. This leads to very creative solutions to problems at all levels, also known as hacks. However, if your only ethic is make it work, then once it works, you're done. You have fulfilled the ethic. Make it work. That's why you see, in India, you'll see pictures of uh, like power lines. And it's just, <laughs> it's like a billion wires, just all tied in. It's just a mess. And you're like, well, how can you, how is that acceptable? Well, it works. Does it? Yeah, barely, but it does japan on the other hand they don't have a good enough culture they have an ethic of honor your performance in any given task reflects on your whole lineage consequently almost everything in japan is excellent streets are clean buildings gleam uh sushi is like every every piece of rice is perfectly the basic idea is that you do an outstanding job for the virtue of doing an outstanding job. It's, called, it's the call of craftsmanship. However, this exerts an enormous, see there's pros and cons to every aspect of culture too. And this is another thing. Whenever I talk about culture and changing culture, uh, people always make this assumption of like, oh, do you think ours is the best? I think there's pros and cons to all of them. And we'll get to that in a second. In Japan, this guy says that culture of excellence can exert an enormous burden on the Japanese people. You must do everything to an A++ level or you have dishonored your ancestors. So you end up either doing far less or being very secretive about your failings. One of the cultural aspects in America, and uh, Nassim Taleb writes about this, I think it's Black Swan, it's one of his books. He says that it, the reason why there's so much entrepreneurial spirit in America and not nearly as much in Japan is because in Japan, if you fail, you have failed your ancestors if you fail in even a business undertaking then you might as well like do the like the, the knife in the stomach and rip your guts out like like seriously but in america we have a culture where failing is encouraged we love the like the guy who who risks it all and on this business idea and it doesn't work we're not like oh you loser you're just shame on your family we're like oh man sorry that didn't work but he's like ah it's okay I'm gonna try again. and We just try and try and try and try. We have this great entrepreneurial culture in America because we don't view failing as like, like this like honor. Like you've disgraced your ancestors when you fail, and that results in different entrepreneurial outcomes. Isn't that fascinating? Um, okay, back to this guy. Uh, okay, this is this explains how uh, this uh, shows how superior America is in ways that many people don't realize. The majority of people in America understand that you do a good job for the sake of doing a good job. There's a wrong way to do things, a right way to do things, and a more right way to do things. And you may not realize it, but most people in America instinctively do things the more right way. This person says, I'm writing this in and out right now with low-wage workers making great food in a clean and safe environment because they derive at least some joy from doing a good work, a good job. This would be impossible in a make-it-work country. India would never have an in and out. By the same token, they uh, th- that that call to a good job is only lightly enforced. We accept a minimum standard of performance and don't incriminate the person's whole family if they fail. We could probably afford to put more pressure on families to discipline their children better, but when someone screws up at their job, even due to incompetence, we don't curse their grandfathers, because America has a true Christian ethic called grace. They don't have this in many countries around the world. We have a con- We have a culture of. Grace, which comes from our Judeo-Christian, well, just mostly Christian culture, grace. So there's difference between Indian and Japanese cultures that result in very different looking streets, among other things. Debbie wrote me an email. She says later, you were talking about this morning about cultural characteristics. It just so happens that I have a friend from Venezuela. It seems like most of these illegal immigrants are coming from Venezuela. Uh, Her friend is here legally. And she's worried that the Venezuelan culture of corruption will come in with the illegals. Not so much the political corruption, we already have that on our own, but the everyday corruption. When you have to pay or bribe someone with money before they will do their job. The manager at your apartment building, the policeman to let you off from writing a speeding ticket. So many countries operate that way just to keep things going. It would be terrible if this became normalized in the US as just the way you do business. So I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Can I, can I, give me another example. Talk to your friend, give me another example. She says, okay, my Venezuelan friend talked about the whole machismo thing among men. The strutting, hyper prideful masculinity that gets so easily offended and expects to be waited on. Another missionary friend said that this developed because the common man had been so emasculated by the upper classes of different Latin races that came to Venezuela. So people feel that they have no personal power. So they have machismo instead. As an American woman, it gives me the creeps. You're stepping into the lion's den with this topic, but I keep on telling the truth. Well, Debbie, I appreciate your, your uh, insights here, right? So, Pat and everyone, do we want more of that? Do we want more culture of corruption, just like common, like day-to-day corruption? And do we want more of this machismo culture? You'd think feminists wouldn't. Now, I got a million more things to say here. So, what's interesting about this What's interesting about culture, and this, I should have said this first with, after Pat's call, is you don't even know you have one. <laughs> That's it. You don't know you have it because you're living it and you've just lived it your whole life. Pat, uh, he's from New Jersey. Pat's just lived his culture. He's just lived it. He's lived his life. It's not, he hasn't analyzed it. It's just what it is. It's like a fish in water. Like if you asked a fish, like, hey, how do you like your water? The fish is like, what? Like I guess. And the fish doesn't even realize how much he likes the water until you take him out of the water. And put him in the culture of oxygen. <laughs> in the culture of air. And the fish is like, oh, this is awful. I hate this. You don't even realize it. You, Pat. Not to, I'm not picking on Pat. i am mean, genuinely having a conversation. You, you, Pat, you don't even realize that you grew up in a culture that values hard work. That you grew up in a culture that values humility. Or a culture that, that values chivalry towards women or values education or values waking up to go to work early. You don't even know that's your culture until one day you have an entire neighborhood full of people who don't value hard work, who aren't chivalrous, who have machismo, who are not humble but are prideful, who are not hardworking but are entitled, who don't love women but are misogynistic towards women, who don't value education at all. You don't even know that you grew up in a culture that does all those good things until you have a thousand people around you all of a sudden who don't value those things at all. And you're like, Whoa, what happened? What's 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 going on here? Oh, they're brown. No, no, that's not it. It's not their race. Their culture. Now, culture isn't all good or all bad. There are some bad things about our culture cuz that was also Pat's question is well what 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 is our culture I didn't get the memo what's our culture that we need to protect great question um no culture is all good or all bad and there may be some good things about Venezuelan culture and that's my only point is I just want us to know I don't I don't know anything about Venezuelan culture other than what Debbie just told me so I don't know. I don't like, uh, but no one does. That's <laughs> that's all I'm gonna. I just want to know. I want us to know what we're letting in. Now we also need to define the culture that we are and the pros and cons. So a con of our culture is we are a uh, consumer, I-, I think we are uh, too much of a, um, uh, I was gonna say consumerist society. That's not the word. A consumption society or cons- there's another word I'm thinking of. Uh, commercial, commercial, commercialist. What's the word? We, too- we buy too much stuff. We just need more and more and more and more. We're always buying. Consumerist. this is another word I'm thinking of. We're just buying more all the time. Just we can't have enough. And then we buy something from Amazon and they deliver it to our door and we get like this quick bolt of uh, endorphins or whatever. And then uh, we're like, ah, oh, that didn't make me happy. So we just buy more all the time. Uh, and that's bad. I think that's bad. So someone from a different culture would come to America and be like, geez, you guys. Man, you guys are never grateful. So I would love to do a nationwide inventory of our cultural pros and cons. And I would like for us to sit down and reflect on the cultural values that made us the greatest country in the world. Why when the Spaniards arrived in Mexico and the Brits arrived in America, did Mexico end up like Mexico and America end up like America? huh, what culture did the Spaniards bring to Mexico that they enforced there? And what culture did the Brits bring to America that they brought here? The book Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond answered that question, by the way. Guns, Germs, and Steel. So what made us the greatest country in the world? We need to write all that down. Then we need to write down who do we want to be. Then we need to be more like that. And not only do we need to be more like that, but we need to, uh, or I should say we should, allow people in who match that. Okay, we want more people who are like this. Okay, well, what culture of people are more like that? Ooh, those people there. Great, let's let more of them in. I don't care what their skin color is at all. I don't care anything about any of that stuff. But if you're not in cultural alignment with who we are and who we want to be, why on earth would we let that person in? Give me one reason why we would let that person in. This is not crazy thinking, by the way. This is, this is perfectly rational. When you look for a roommate, think of any time in your life you've looked for a roommate. That's what you do. You do a, a quick analysis of who you are, but then also who you wanna be and what type of lifestyle you want. If you want to be a person who is neat and goes to bed early and wakes up early and exercises and eats healthy, you're gonna get a roommate who matches that, that's it. <laughs> and maybe you're not even that neat, but you wanna be neat. So you're gonna get a roommate who values being neat. That's it. You would not get, if you wanted to be those things, you wouldn't get a roommate who's a drug addicted hoarder that would not mesh with, your cultures are not aligned. That's it. Just want that for a country. Someone wrote me a tweet and said, "Uh, Hey Slater, about your conversation this morning about people coming here, changing things. Hat tip to Will Cow. You can't have their coming here Without here becoming there, you can't have there coming here, without here becoming there. So who's the there? Aren't you curious? Aren't you like, what's it like in Venezuela? What culture are you bringing here? Could be great. Could be great. Maybe in fifty years, we'll all be uh, celebrating Venezuelan holidays and wearing uh, red and gold and we'll be eating Venezuelan food. I don't know, but maybe we love it. Maybe we love that culture. I'd like to know what it is. Not allowed to ask. So I'm calling, and we'll take a break here. I'm calling for the State Department. Truly, I'm not kidding. I'm calling for the State Department to do a cultural analysis of everywhere on the planet. And we need to know what regions of Venezuela, and be very precise, about the different regions of Venezuela what their different cultures are, and where people are coming from. Keep in mind, the pilgrims that settled in Massachusetts were all from a 60-mile radius within a single town in England, Haverhill, England. And thank God they came from Haverhill, England in East Anglia. Thank God they came from there and brought that culture here. That is a good culture. And you know it's true. You know it's true. Don't Don't even pretend like what I just said is not true. You know it is. You don't think that this country would be different if the first settlers in America were from Saudi Arabia? You don't think we'd be in a different. You don't think we'd be different today if the first if the first settlers in America were from Pakistan? Of course, we'd be different today. This is so obvious. Like all this culture talk, like it's so bizarre that it's, I, like we even have to like walk on eggshells about. It. Like what, what are you talking? It is so obviously true. But for some reason, still very dangerous to talk about. I'll take a break. Eight six six nine five. That's like one percent of everything I want to say about this topic. But I hope Pat, it, it just gets some some like creative juices thinking of like, oh yeah, wow. I guess I, I guess I do have a culture. I guess I did grow up in a culture. Yeah, I guess there's things I really like about that culture. Oh, and other cultures are different, and I don't like that culture. I don't I don't want that coming here. Actually, I don't want that culture. But I do like that part of culture. That's good. Yeah, let's let more people from Japan in, actually. I like that. That's good. They're, they're good, hardworking, wonderful people. Let's, let's let more Japanese people in. Ooh, that over there, don't love that one. Now, it has nothing to do with income either. You could come from a poor country and still have a good culture, a culture that meshes well. and, Okay, good. Have some more. That, oh, but they're poor. That's okay. No big deal. They'll come here, they'll work hard, they, they mesh our culture, it'll be fine. No problem. Come on, more. Like, why can't we think like that? Oh, that's racist. It is the opposite of race. Quiet. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. By the way, my email is slater at breitbart.com later at breitbart.com if you have any problems or further insight you'd like to provide to our culture conversation from the last segment uh we love always talking to the great awr hawkins about second amendment stuff here he is hey
1: everybody so i have some big news to share we are announcing the creation of the first ever white house office of gun violence prevention and we are doing this work in large part because of the activism the organizing the marching the voting of all of you leaders, be it students, parents, teachers, community leaders, who understand that living free from gun violence should be a right. So we're going to work on this together. We're going to continue to fight for reasonable gun safety laws and for the ability of all people to live their best lives free from fear, free from violence. Thank you for all that you have done and continue to do.
0: It's Kamala Harris right there. America's the greatest country in the world. Good morning. Thanks for being here. AWR Hawkins is here. He's the Breitbart News Second Amendment correspondent. AWR, how you doing, brother?
1: Well, I'm doing great, Mike. Great to be with you.
0: Thanks, man. What's the uh, What's the White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention?
1: Yeah, well, it's basically paid back. If you paid attention, and she talked about, all the leaders, that was Kamala Harris, all the leaders uh, that have done all the work. Those leaders are the directors of Mike Bloomberg's Everytown for Gun Safety. They are the activists in March for Our Lives. They are the leaders in other gun control groups. So basically what the White House has done is created an office in the White House where some of Mike Bloomberg's folks, some of the March for Our Lives folks and others can do their gun control push through the White House. That's basically what they've created. And they put Kamala Harris over it. And if uh, she does as good a job at this as she did at stopping the illegal crossings in Eagle Pass, Texas, it'll just be amazing. <laughs>
0: uh, it's a creation of a single point of leadership on gun violence in the administration. So it's an executive level, it's like a cabinet position. Is that right? What do they do though? Well,
1: the, here's the thing. I'm going to say something that this is 100% my opinion. They're not going to get anything done. Uh, The the threat with this is what future administrations could do or what a Biden or four more years of Biden could do. Uh, For the remainder of this time in office for Biden, they're not going to get anything done. Uh, If I'm running against Biden, right now that would be Trump. If I'm Trump running against Biden, Uh, I'm making clear. I go, folks, don't worry about this little office. As soon as I get in, it will be abolished. Mm -hmm. And that's what needs to happen, and nothing will ever come of this. And uh, so I don't want to believe it's a threat now. It's one of those things that once created, if not done away with, uh, that's when it will become dangerous because someone will weaponize it.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's fair. Um, What did Joe say from the Rose Garden about the Second Amendment? Because he's... (laughs) he's...
1: I apologize. You know, he said so many. You know, I've covered one time he said, you know, the nine millimeter blows the lungs out of the body. Uh, he, he described the nine millimeter as a high caliber weapon. Uh, he, he's actually talked about banning nine millimeters. That's why I laugh. He says crazy things. From the Rose Garden, he said that if you need 80 shots in a magazine, you shouldn't own a gun. It was very random, very random, just out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, if you need 80 shots in a magazine, you shouldn't own a gun. Uh, I don't really get him. Uh, I, I know he's got dementia or whatever. He can't. He has no idea what he's saying. But uh, he he makes these random statements. And uh, you know, if you, I'm going to say something. If if someone breaks into your home, three three home intruders. It's not unusual. Mike, that I cover five home intruders or four home intruders at once. It's really not. But let's just go with three. If three home intruders break into your home, each of them is armed, and odds are they will be. Let's say each of them is armed and they only have a 10-round magazine. Well, that's 30 rounds you're facing right there. Now, odds are they're going to have 15-plus. So you're facing 45 to 60 rounds right there. Uh, so if, if they have 60 rounds, I sure would like to have eighty, and if I can do it, I'd like to have a hundred. And so Joe <laughs> Biden is not in touch with—he's not in touch with reality because I want people to look at my home and go, "We will not go through that front door. We will not because we cannot match the firepower on the other side." That's what I want intruders to think. Joe Biden doesn't have to live like that because he uses our tax money to 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 surround himself with armed security at all times. I don't have that benefit.
0: I've never seen it before. I mean, we were in Nashville last night and uh, going to a restaurant, and big, big sign on the front door: uh, "No firearms allowed inside this restaurant." What do you, what do you do if you're going to that restaurant?
1: Well, I don't, I don't know what to say to people. I don't give anybody advice on breaking the law, so I'm not going to tell anybody to. But if I'm eating in that restaurant and you come in there to rob me, I'll shoot you dead.
0: I'm trying to think why they would have that sign. What's the, What's their thought process? Well, it's still that. It's still that. It's
1: still that somewhat ignorant position that they believe if we just don't have guns in here, nothing will happen. What they don't understand is that the bad guy then looks at that restaurant as a place full of prey because no one can shoot back. But again, as I say, I will shoot back because I'll still have my pistol when I go in there. Uh, but uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, I usually, the way I live my life, I on purpose don't see those signs. I, I keep my <laughs> eyes up or whatever when I walk in. But I hate to tell you it's the honest truth. I, I, you would not believe places that I'm armed. I just stay armed because uh, I'm not going to be that guy. Who has to? Who gets called on video begging for mercy, and begging somebody, please, please, please don't take this, don't take that. I'm not going to go out that way. We're going to we're going to go out in a fight, and if I get the draw on you, you're going to lose.
0: Uh, we were talking about Joe Biden a second ago, but uh, Gavin Newsom is the guy I think we got to be on the lookout for. Here's Gavin the other day. Hold on, I got to plug this in. here's Gavin the other day.
1: The Second Amendment is becoming a suicide pact. But there's many people in this country that support the Second Amendment and are and and lawful gun owners. Yeah, I
0: have great respect. I have no ideological opposition to someone reasonably and responsibly owning firearms and getting background checks and being trained. So Gavin Newsom has no ideological opposition to owning a firearm <laughs> and the Second is a suicide pact. How do those work yeah, together?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, nothing he says works together, and uh, <laughs> I, say this, I say this, I've say this. thought this out. I'm not saying this in a rash way. I'm not saying it on impulse. Kevin Newsom is a liar, and you always have to remember that when he talks. You always have to remember that. Uh, he has done everything he can to keep lawful gun owners from possessing or using guns. They have a ban on campus carry for self-defense. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose of getting a concealed carry licenses so you can have your gun with you for self-defense but he finds spots college campuses wherever you can't be on for self-defense he he does all of these things and then he says oh i have no uh, i have no disagreement with lawful gun owners as long as they do the background check jack, jack, jack. and again i think to to get the impact of what he's saying you have to flip this to another right what if he were saying oh i have no problem with lawful free speech advocates as long as they do a background check? What if I had to do a background check to exercise free speech? What if I had to get the certificate of safety in order to exercise free speech? What if I could only have free speech in certain parts of California? What if I had a 10-day waiting period on the exercise of free speech? I could keep going, but I'll burn our time up. That's how he treats the Second Amendment. And then he tries to act like he's not against lawful gun owners. He is against the right through and through and uh, he might as well quit saying he isn't.
0: Anytime someone like yourself makes, a, makes an argument like that, I always funnel it through the filter of what a progressive would say then, how a progressive would respond to that argument you made about comparing the, the second to the first, 10-day waiting period, et cetera. So obviously, conservative Mike Slater thinks that's brilliant, that's awesome. But I'm like, okay, but well, what would a progressive say about that? Okay, well, a progressive would say that there's a fundamental difference between the immediacy of the Second Amendment, a gun, and there's a difference between the amount of harm that can be done with guns versus speech. I have an answer to those, mm-hmm. but what, what do you say to that?
1: Well, I mean, it depends on how you approach it. There is no speech. You're, 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 that gun, That gun, in many ways, guarantees your free speech. And so uh, having that gun guarantees your ability to speak freely. Moreover, I don't think you'd look at histories full of book bans and book burnings and all of this uh, and leading up to and part of uh, purges and things Stalin and Lenin did and other things. I don't think you would see all that if the word wasn't so important because it is a word that penetrates the mind and controls the person. And so words are unbelievably important, and their impact – the impact of words, you can't even – you can't overestimate it no matter how much you overestimate. Mm -hmm. So uh, people who say what you're saying, they're giving you a cheap argument. That's like saying Civil War was caused by slavery. Someone who says that, I know, the only thing they've done is either read a bumper sticker or somewhere down the line they watched Gone with the Wind. never did
0: (laughs) Uh, so on your point earlier about how it's just setting the seed and it grows from there, uh, California, a couple of years ago, created a a list of sensitive places that you're not allowed to carry a gun. And basically it was schools. It's, it's a very sensitive place, but now they're expanding the sensitive places, of course. So now it's all public transportation, public parks, playground, demonstrations, bars and restaurants, and only to grow from there. What do you make of that?
1: Right. Right. Well, they're going to face an incredible legal challenge because when you use that word public, public means it's funded by the public. And uh, so uh, the courts have historically uh, made sure that uh, those areas are areas where your natural rights can be exercised. And so they're going to face a challenge on that, and they'll lose that challenge. That's a gibby. But, again... It goes back to my point, Newsom and his comrades, they hate the idea that law-abiding citizens are armed for self-defense. I mean, I, I ask people, if I, I'll ask you, Mike, if I were on one of those public buses, if I had my Sig Sire handgun with me, which is semi-automatic, or if I had an h and MP5 with me, which is fully automatic, would it even matter which gun I have? Would, would you ever ever read about me being involved in a crime. No, because I'm law-abiding. You'll never read about me being involved in a crime. See, it's not the type of gun. It's not the way it's carried. It's none of that. It is the nature of the person. And Newsom's and his Democrats in California, their pursuit is of the law-abiding. They are pursuing the very people who would never commit a crime, but who would use a gun to save a life. And those are the very people that should be encouraging to
0: carry. Mm. Yeah, I was never understood why police departments don't have free gun safety, gun training courses. Wouldn't they want everyone to be armed and trained well? I don't understand why they don't lead the charge on that.
1: Right. You know, well, I think right now they're probably underfunded. I hate to say that, but in the past, you're right, historically, why not, you know? And I guess the other thing you look at, Mike, though, you look at schools have been doing that with hunting and archery programs, right? Uh, And the hunting program carries with it uh, a gun safety portion. And what's Biden do? Biden rolls in and goes, hey, if you have a hunting program at your school, you're cut off from all federal funding. So yeah. I guess the police departments are thinking, well, we can't afford to lose the funding that yeah. we use to buy the ammo and the bulletproof tests and the police courts.
0: I didn't know Biden so did that. So what did,
1: these folks.
0: what did Biden say? If you have a gun program, like a rifle team,
1: if you have an archery, if you, no, not a team, Mike, uh, although a team would obviously fall into this. If you have an archery program or a hunting program, I know in Colorado there's some schools that have rifle, rifle programs, uh, but there are some schools in rural America that have a hunting program. They teach you certain aspects of, of hunting and gun safety and how to how, you, how to how like this is a this is gonna seem minor, but this is major. What do you do with your rifle or shotgun when you come to a fence and you have to cross that fence? Mm. See for people who don't think about that they go, I was holding a gun across the fence. Well if you do that and you fall. What do you do if you fall and your finger hits the trigger when you hit the ground, you're jarred so hard? What if that happens and that barrel is pointed at some part of your body? So you have all these little lessons that are taught so that as people grow up and they want to hunt like Dad and Grandpa did, they're learning all these safety measures. Bobby says, if you have those programs in your school, you get no federal funding. Wow.
0: By the way, what do you do? What do what do you do when you climb a fence?
1: Well, when... When you climb that fence, what I do is buy the fence post where the fence doesn't flex with your weight. By that fence post. Number one, I open my action be sure there's no round in it. I lean my rifle right there where it's not going to vibrate and fall. Then I climb the fence. Then I reach over and I'm pulling up an unloaded gun or a gun without a round in the chamber, I should say. And I pull that up, then I get it, and I rechamber a round. Yeah. Now, if I fall in that process, I'm fine. I might bruise myself. I might break an arm falling, but I'm not going to hit a trigger on a .30-06 and blow my head off. And uh, so these are just important things people need to learn.
0: Yeah, so it's just amazing. Like, why? It's just amazing that someone wouldn't want more AWR Hawkins, right? You'd want everyone to have that skill and confidence as an AWR Hawkins. But, no, they want everyone to be as ignorant as, as can possibly be and scared of guns,
1: they want um, they want everyone to be a david hogg
0: yeah that's right that's right <laughs> that's, it. that's it they want a nation that's of david hogs
1: you, you drink soy lattes you wear tight pants but that's okay
0: yeah that's it. that's it they want they like like wow that's a that is such a perfect visual they want it in every way not just second amendment uh skill or, or they, they want they want david hogs in every possible way and we need more awr hawkins Breitbart News, Second Amendment correspondent. AWR, keep it up. Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you, buddy. Thanks,
0: brother. Uh, 866-958. They want, like I said, it's so good. They want (laughs) to... Google David Hogg if you don't know David Hogg. He was, uh, what was the school? Whatever the school. Newtown. Newtown? Stone? Whatever it was. Stoneman Douglas. And was a gun gun activist guy. Google David Hogg. That's what they they want. (laughs) <laughs> Nation of David Hoggs. Oh, that's so good. I'm American made. I got American I got- Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. A friend of mine, colleague on the first TV, Liz Wheeler, is going to be here at uh, 8 o'clock. And she's talking about her new book called Hide Your Children. Indeed. That's tomorrow. Hope to see you there. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.